Those were some tumultuous years interning for Pastor Kylan, having to deal with me. But uh, it's good to have great leaders and great mentors in your life. And I was going to actually tell you about Pastor and Pastor Phyllis being back there. They wanted to join the most important generation for a service. I'm I'm, thank you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're all important. I'm not that generation either. It's fine. So, hey, uh, tonight uh, I want to talk with you guys about missional living, missional living. And if you're not sure what that means, it's okay, I'm going to explain it. But I want to start by saying this, you know, our church has some values, and they're vital to what we are as a church. And our values here are we live by faith, and that faith is obviously in Christ. That's who we're focused on. That's where we draw all of our meaning and our purpose for what we're doing. So we live by faith in Jesus, which leads us into valuing relationships. Why? Because you can't get Christ without his church. And so a relationship with Jesus, that faith in Jesus, leads us into the community called the church. But then there's another step in this process. The church finds its mission and its purpose from Jesus, and that mission and that purpose is to be rescuers, is to go out and reach other people. And so tonight, I'm going to be preaching a message that kind of falls in that we are rescuers bracket of one of our values of our church. And to kind of dive into this, I want to use an analogy with you. Uh, it's what I like to think of as the church when I think of, about us being rescuers. I, I think of the Titanic. Now, just in case any of you don't know the Titanic story, if you're unfamiliar with the Titanic, just raise your hand real quick. Okay, per perfect. Yeah, you're, you all know about the Titanic. So here's the interesting correlation. God created the earth, and it was perfect, and he put man in it, and it was good, and God said it was good, and he blessed it. They built the Titanic, and they thought it was good, right? I remember hearing, I don't know if it's true or not, but I remember hearing that someone was quoted as saying it's the unsinkable ship. Not even God could sink the Titanic. Well, it sank, right? The earth, because of man's sin, was corrupted. It fell, the Titanic sank, right? And what happened when the Titanic sank? Everybody hit the water. Now they're in a desperate fight for their lives, right? And sin enters the world, and what happens? We're disconnected from God. Our relationship with him is severed, and now we are in a desperate fight, right? We're hopeless. We need something to save us. And see, with the Titanic, when they hit the water, the water was freezing cold. I'm sure there were sharks. I'm terrified of sharks. We just got back from the beach. My son refused to go in the ocean because he's terrified of sharks. He watched Shark Week, and uh, that'll ruin you for the beach, you know. So, uh, but there were sharks. There were a lot of dangers. They were in imminent threat of losing their life, right? But we know that there were some lifeboats on the Titanic. Not as many as there were supposed to be because they didn't think the ship would ever sink. But they still had some, and there were people in these lifeboats, and they were going through the water, and they were looking for people to rescue. Jesus does that for us. He's looking for us, and he calls us into this relationship. He offers us salvation, just like with the Titanic. They're going around looking for people, and when they'd find somebody, they would pull them out right into the boat. Now, here's what happens, and this is why I think that the church is a lot like the survivors from the Titanic. When they got pulled into that boat, they had two choices. They could either celebrate and rejoice the fact that they were no longer facing the imminent threat of death. They could be in the boat. They probably were still freezing cold. They might have been injured from when the boat sank. Maybe somebody landed on them. Maybe they hit something. They might have been hurting. They're freezing. But are they going to sit there and just be glad that they're rescued? 
Or do they want to turn and immediately look for somebody else to help? You see what I'm saying? See, the church is a bunch of people who have been rescued by Jesus, and we have an option to either just rejoice in the fact that we're rescued or to look for someone else to rescue. And here's, here's the point that I want to make tonight is that Jesus built a church to go rescue people. And it doesn't matter if you've been rescued for one minute, one day, one week, one month, one year, or 50 years, you're able to rescue somebody. Doesn't matter if you're still cold, doesn't matter if you're hurting, doesn't matter. You're still able to reach out and pull somebody else to safety because you yourself have been saved. The idea tonight is missional living. And this is kind of the concept behind missional living. It's that you're going to treat your life no matter where you are or what you are doing, as though God put you there on purpose to reach others for Christ. Whether you're a cook at a restaurant, a teacher at a school, a janitor, a mechanic, or a business owner, it doesn't matter. You're looking at your occupation, you're looking at the places where you are, and you're saying, this is my mission field. Where I am is my mission field. Because God doesn't do things accidentally. God plants us with a purpose. Paul said this, and I love it, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. When I read this verse probably eight months ago, it finally hit me really hard. The part where he says, and God, wait, that doesn't look right. Where are you at? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, as though God, I'm reading from the NIV, by the way, as though God were making his appeal through us. And here's the thought that hit me. When Jesus was on the cross, he said three words. I think they were the most powerful three words that have ever been said. They were these. It is finished. It is finished. What was Jesus saying? He completed his mission. His job was done. And we find out that after the resurrection, what does Jesus do? He teaches the disciples, hey, this is what you're going to do now. Right? He pulls them all together and he says, you're going to go into the whole world and you're going to preach the gospel to every creature and you're going to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and you're going to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you and I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus on the cross said, it's finished. I did my job. And the Bible says that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he now intercedes on our behalf that we'll do ours, that we'll do our job, right? Because as Christians, we believe, we live by faith in Jesus. We connect ourselves to Christ's body, which is the church, and then we discover our mission to go and rescue people. Paul said this when he said that God is making his appeal through us. What he's saying is this, God uses rescued people to rescue people. That's how he's doing it. That's how God is moving in the earth. Now certainly he goes beyond what we're capable of because he does greater things than we can do, but God is using and working through each and every one of us, and one of the major ways that God is going to do this is through us acknowledging that everywhere we go and where God has placed us, that's our mission field. You don't have to go overseas. Back in the youth ministry when I was interning, we ran a campaign that we called No Passport Needed. We made a really cool sign for it. I don't know where that sign is now, but it was really cool 
and I worked really hard on it, and I couldn't fix it. And so I actually, Mark Blackburn, I don't know if you remember this, but we actually had you finish that sign for me. You remember that? And now we don't know where it is, man. It's sad. No passport needed. You don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. Realize wherever you are, God has planted you there. So Paul said we're Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That's a pretty heavy responsibility for us to absorb right there. But then Jesus says this, and you're going to be super familiar with this passage. But let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 5, 13. You're going to be super familiar, I promise you, but I'm hoping that this will bless you. In Matthew 5, 13, down through 16, we read, Jesus speaking, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, salt in Jesus' day was used for many purposes, but one of its main functions was that of preservation. What they would do with salt is they would take it, and they would have some meat, and they would sprinkle salt all over the meat, and then what they would have to do is they'd have to rub the salt into the meat. And wherever there wasn't salt, there was a risk of decay, right? And so they would take the salt, they'd pour it everywhere, and they would rub that in real nice and good so they'd gotten all the parts of the meat. Do you see what Jesus is saying about his church? We're the salt of the earth. Jesus intends to place his church everywhere. Why? Because he needs us there. Why? The preservation that we do is we preserve or we fight against, is one way that it's, that it's explained, we fight against the decay of morality and the decay of spirituality or faith in God, faith in Jesus. We fight against that. We're preserving against, we're pushing back against the decay of morality. We're, we're fighting against that stuff. And the cool thing is we don't just fight against it. We actually can bring healing to these areas, right? We can bring restoration. We can bring healing into these areas. But that's part of what the church is here to do, is to push back, to, to stave off the corruption, the decay that's happening because of the sin that's in the world. Jesus also says that we're the light of the world. And I love Jesus because I think... I think sometimes Jesus, he says stuff, and you know how uh, sometimes people can be passive-aggressive? I think this is one of Jesus' moments where he's passive-aggressive. I'm going to paraphrase for you what I think Jesus was trying to say. Because he says, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. I think what he really wanted to say was, it would be really stupid to have a light and then cover that light up. Right? Does that make sense? Like, if you're walking down a dark path and you can't see nothing and you have a flashlight and you turn it on and you can see the path and then you take your hand and cover it up, that's pretty dumb. And Jesus says we're his light and I think what he's trying to tell us is I have no intention of lighting you up to cover you up. Right? Our lives are intended to be lived out in front of people. So the salt thing is about us preserving and staving off the, the decay 
of what sin is bringing into the world. We're pushing back against that. Part of that comes through our righteous living. Jesus said that salt, if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Here's kind of what he was saying. To be salt, you can't be contaminated. See, in Jesus' day, salt, salt can't really break down on its own. If you have pure salt, it's not just going to fall apart. It's going to remain salty, right? But in Jesus' day, they didn't have the way of packaging that we do to preserve it that way. So contaminants would get into the salt, and then it would lose its saltiness because contaminants got into it. Jesus is saying this, is if we're going to be the salt in the earth, if we're going to be slowing down or preventing that process of decay, then we can't allow the decay into our own lives. Here's a really practical example, and I'm not using this to pick on anybody or anything like that. It's just one we'll all relate to. It's really hard for the church to make a stand against adultery if the church is participating in it. We lose our saltiness, right? It's really hard for the church to make a stand against being greedy and being selfish if the church is being greedy and selfish. We lose our witness. You see what I'm saying? We've got to watch that we're not being contaminated. To be salt in the world, we have to be different than the world. But see, light, light is about the good things that we're doing in the world. It's about the blessing that we're being to the world. How do I know this? Because Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. So we know that when Jesus talks about us being a light, he means he intends for us to be doing something in the world that other people can see and say, that was good. What just happened, that was a good thing. Now the motivation for us shining our light in this way, for being, doing good deeds, is to bring glory to God. Now let me show you why. Because when we get this out of whack, we can get really messed up and we start to think it's all about us and that's not good for anyone. If I've just been rescued by Jesus and he's pulled me out of that water and he's rescued me from death, Anything that I produce in my life beyond that point, he gets all the credit for. Why? Because without him, where would I be? Dead. So I don't have the right to claim the glory for any good work that I ever accomplish on this earth because it all goes to Jesus. And so the motivation for our good works is really this. I want to help you because I want you to know how good Jesus was to me because Jesus will be that good to you. We're pulling people to Jesus. It's never about us. It's always about Jesus, right? So Jesus said this about salt and light. He said that if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no good. It's only good to be trampled on by men, right? So we know we can't allow ourselves to be contaminated. We also know we can't let our light be hidden. But what does this actually look like for us? What does it mean for us to be God's ambassadors? What does it mean for us to be salt and light in everyday life? I have three thoughts that I want to share with you. I think will help you grab a hold of this concept of missional living, which is, again, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you realize you're there for Jesus, to reach people for Jesus. Three thoughts that I think if we will think this way, it will help us stay focused on the mission of the church that Jesus left us with. The first, excuse me, the first thought is this. What if we lived each day as though it were a gift from God to fulfill his mission for the church. 
What if we realized that each new day was another moment to reach another person for Christ? What if we lived each day like it was another opportunity to shine our light a little bit more in someone's life? Now, this might seem a bit overwhelming, and I promise you it's not, because I'm going to show you how easy it is to live for the glory of God in everyday life. But we need to see what the Bible actually says about this, because when you say things like every day, every day, that can seem overwhelming. But before we go there, let's see what David said. In Psalm 118, David said this, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He wasn't just talking about Sunday. Every day. The Lord made this day, and there was a purpose in this day for each and every one of us. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be his disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. Taking up our cross means taking up our God purpose or taking up God's will and his mission for us. And the mission for his church is that we reach lost people. That we rescue them. Here's kind of that thought in conclusion. Let's not get caught up in the monotony of life and treat our days as normal. You know, many of you might struggle with this, and it's definitely played up in media where they talk about just make it to the weekend. You know, everybody talks about the Mondays, right? Monday blues. Got to go back to work. Start of the week, right? And I know from my days working in factories, it was like everybody there was just living for Saturday. Just give me to the end of the week. And I personally think throwing away five days out of a seven-day week is a pretty terrible way to live. Like when there's so much life in each day, to block out five whole days and be like, these are pretty much just so I can get to this point, that's worthless. And as Christians... I think it's actually wrong for us to live that way. If God makes every day, and there's purpose and intentionality in every day, then what would change about our lives? How many more people would we reach for Christ if we woke up every day and said, I'm not going to get caught in the monotony of life and treat this day as normal. I'm going to treat this as the day the Lord has made, and there's purpose in it, and he's got intention for me this day, right? Would that change anything for us? I think it would. The second thought I have is this, what if we lived like where God put us, meaning our workplace, our communities that we live in, the schools that we attend, the family that we have, what if we lived like those places were the places where God wanted to add a little salt? Remember that salt had to be rubbed into the meat to be able to preserve it. It is impossible for us to be God's salt in the earth if he doesn't place us everywhere that it needs preserved. You know, I, I remember when I worked at factories, there were a lot of people that talked about how miserable they were at factories. I've had people in my family that talked about working in factories, and they were just like, it just destroys your soul. I never experienced that. I actually enjoyed working in factories. I'm one of those weirdos that's like, just give me a conveyor belt and let me assemble stuff all day long, and I will just absolutely have a thrill doing it. I'm weird like that. But I remember hearing that stuff, and sometimes it would come from Christians, and I would almost think, like now looking back, like, man, what if their mindset would have been different about their workplace or about the family they were in? 
or about the community in which they live? What if our mentality about where we're placed in this life is really more God must need some salt here? He needs somebody to preserve this area a little bit. They need a little bit of somebody standing up for morality and for faith in Christ. They need to see that happening here. What if that's why God wants me here? You see what I'm saying? That would change our outlook on where we're at. That means that God needs salt in the schools, the hospitals, the businesses, the mechanic shops, the military, pretty much anywhere and everywhere. God needs his salt there. So here's kind of the conclusion of that thought. Let's not overlook the purpose of God in our placements in life. Let's not overlook the purpose of God in our placements in life because it means something. God's not accidental with any one of us. He's got a purpose. The third thought I had was this. What if we realized our unique ability to shine Christ's light through simple, everyday tasks and interactions with unbelievers. Every moment matters. Paul teaches us this in Ephesians 5 when he says to make the most of every opportunity. He goes on to say for the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. Paul also says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's what I want you to know, church. When it comes to living missionally, when it comes to looking at your life and saying, you know what, I'm not going to treat my days as monotonous and normal. I'm going to acknowledge that every day is purposed by God and there's a, an intention in my life from God. There's a purpose for God in my life in each and every day. We wake up and we do that and we say we're not going to overlook the placements that God has for us in our life. We're going to look at them as if God needed us here because there's a reason for us being here. And here's the other thing. If we realize that every smile, every handshake, every kind word, every act of generosity, every time we do something to care for the poor, every act of service, Every time we mourn with someone who is mourning, every time we pray a prayer for someone else, every time that we grant someone forgiveness when they've wronged us, every time we sacrifice of our time to help someone in need, it matters when it's done for God's glory. It matters. You know, I read this week that over 70% of people that are in church right now, not just this church, but the church as a whole, over 70% of people say that they're in church today because somebody they had a personal relationship invited them in. To finish my last thought, sum it up like this. Don't miss the magnitude of your moments. If the heavy majority of people have found faith in Christ through a personal relationship with someone else who was already in the church, then we cannot miss the magnitude of every moment that we have with these people. Every kind word that we speak to them means something. It's saying something about who God is and what God is like. It's showing them a God that is compassionate and that cares for them and wants to rescue them. Our moments matter. They matter. So let's not get caught up in the monotony of life and treat our days as normal because they're not. 
Let's not overlook the purpose of God in our placements in life because he was intentional in where he put us. Let's not miss the magnitude of our moments knowing that all it takes is one moment for God to change somebody's heart. That's all we need is one moment. I hope you're okay with it being a little short. I'm going to wrap up. And to wrap up, I want to bring you back to the Titanic analogy. Because what I've talked about, this missional living is something that each and every one of us can do. You can do this tomorrow. You can go tomorrow to your workplace and realize God put me here for a purpose. I'm not going to overlook this purpose. I'm going to acknowledge that God needs some salt and some light right here. And so I'm going to own that. I'm going to be that here. And I'm not going to miss the magnitude of every individual moment. You can do that and watch what God starts to do in your life when you live intentionally for his glory. But here's what I need you to grab as a church. We have to have the heart of God for lost people. We have to. We have to pray until God gives us a heart for the lost people, the same heart that he has, the same heart that says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? He was willing to do whatever it took to rescue every person who would ever confess faith in his son. God was willing to do anything. If we had been at the Titanic, if we'd been on those boats, if we'd been rescued, and we had the choice to rescue other people, and we're looking around the situation and we're seeing how desperate it is and how hopeless it is. Here's what we aren't going to do. We're not going to stop to think about who that person is or what they've done before we reach a hand out to rescue them. And we got to grab this. I got to grab this. You know, I shared a couple of weeks ago about somebody that the Lord led me to witness to and I got there and I was super uncomfortable. And I'm going to be honest with you, the Lord's been working on me a lot because he wants us to reach people. We cannot allow what people have done in their past or what they look like to affect our willingness to reach them. And so here's what I think is helpful. I think it's really helpful for us to start praying, God, give me a heart for lost people like yours. Help me to see the urgency of their need. Help me to see the urgency of their need because when you look at somebody and you see them dying and you can, you can visually look at them and think they're dying and they have no hope, the things that would cause you to step back from them, they're going to dissipate pretty quickly. You know what I'm saying? If you're walking down the street and you see someone choking to death, you're not going to stop to say, hey, I wonder if that's a homeless guy that's going to use my money to get some beer. You're just going to go rescue him, right? If you see a kid walking off a cliff, you're not just going to stand there and be like, wow, that's weird. That kid must have done some drugs. No, you're going to go and try to save them before they go off the cliff. These are dramatic examples, but you get my point. We, we can't, if we're going to be the church and if we're going to fulfill the mission, if we are, all of us together, collectively, going to fulfill the mission of the church, then we have to pray the heart of the Father for lost people. And don't get me wrong, we can't just see them come through the door. We're actually called to disciple them, too. We got to be there for these people. We got to walk with these people. We got to welcome people into the fold. I want to close with, with this, and, and I don't intend to offend anybody, but it was one of the most like surreal moments of like watching a movie and just being hit in the face and thinking, that is the most Christian thing I've ever seen in my life. And it was not in a Christian movie. I'm kind of a Marvel fan, 
Um, not all, all Marvel stuff. I'll just throw that out there. Some of it I don't get into. But I'm kind of a Marvel fan, and they had their big movie, Endgame, come out. And uh, if you haven't watched it, I'll give you the setup. Half of everything in all of existence, well, spoiler alert. He hasn't seen it. Plug your ears. Okay, spoiler alert. A lot of people die, and there's a way that they can bring all the people back, okay? And two of our characters... Black Widow and Hawkeye, they're good guys. They have to go to this foreign planet, and they have to go get this item. And if they get this item, I know this is random, but I promise you, you're going you're gonna to love this when I get there. They have to go get this item, and if they get this item, then they have a chance of bringing everyone back. They have a chance of saving everyone who's already died, right? So the stakes are high. And they get there, and when they get there, they find out that to be able to get the item, one of them has to die. One of them has to give their life. Yeah, just plug yours. If you haven't seen it yet, plug yours. And so these two characters, they get into an argument about who should be the one to give up their life, which I think is really cool, right? Like, that's noble. That's honorable. And the one character, he starts telling the other character, he's like, you know what I've done. You, you know how I've been living. You know the mistakes I made. He's made some, he's done some bad stuff. He's like, you know what I've done. And the other character says to him, I don't judge people by their worst decisions. And I'm in the theater, and I'm watching this movie, and I'm super engaged, right? I've been waiting 10 years, 23 movies for this moment, okay? And this moment hits me, and I'm in it, and I'm fully engaged, and she makes this comment. I don't judge people based on their worst decisions. And I was like, wow, that looks a lot like grace, Wow, in a secular Hollywood movie, this character's like, and, and this guy's done some terrible things. I don't judge people based on their worst decisions. And I thought, man, I'm so grateful that God's grace is so much better than that. It's so much more radical than that. Because if he was judging us based on our actions, we would all fall extremely short of the mark. You know what I'm saying? None of us would be rescued. You might have been a saint before you were saved, but you weren't a saint. The Bible makes it clear that we all fall short. We all miss the mark. And in this one moment, in this movie, when I'm honestly, I mean, I'm not really, I don't know about you, but I'm not really thinking much about the church or what I'm going to preach or anything like that. I just, that happened and I thought, man, the church could use that. When we look at lost people, and they look extremely different from us, and we know that their lifestyles are extremely different from ours, and we know that they're messed up, and they're messy, and they're going to bring a mess with them, it'd be really cool if we all just looked and said, we don't judge based on your worst decisions when you were a sinner, when you didn't know right from wrong, when you didn't know how to honor God with your life. We're not going to judge you based on that. We're just going to stick our hands out to you and say, there's a place for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus will rescue you, and we'll let Jesus clean up the mess because that's what he did for me and that's what he did for you and that's what he's called us to do for others is to just extend a hand out and say it might be weird might be a little difficult might be a little sticky a little messy but there's hope for you and it shows up in the simplest of ways you don't have to be in the five-fold ministry to reach someone for Jesus 
all you got to do to reach someone for Jesus is really, really pray that God gives you a heart for lost people so that when you see them, your reaction won't be like mine where I go, ooh, Jesus, I don't know about this. Your action will be like Jesus where you reach out to serve in love. You see what I'm saying? This is what we're called to be, church. This is what Jesus left us here for. When he was getting ready to be crucified, in John, he records, John records these prayers that Jesus prayed. Jesus' first prayer was for himself. His second prayer was for the disciples who were there with him. His third prayer was for us. He prayed for everyone who would believe on him because of the witness and the testimony of those who were already with him, right? So he's praying for us. And part of his prayer was this. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you protect them while they're in it. Why? Because we have a mission. Christ left us here to fulfill and finish the job. We're not done yet. One day Jesus is coming back and it'll be over. And then we can celebrate and we can rejoice. But for now, our hearts have to be, God, use us wherever we are. Because you've placed us for a purpose. And we're not going to miss the magnitude of every moment that you give us to impact somebody's life for Christ. Amen? Would you guys bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you've never professed faith in Christ, you've never said that you acknowledge that you need to be rescued by Jesus, I want you to know that all of us, Scripture says that every single one of us, we were hopeless, we were enemies of God because of the sin in our lives, but God, because of his great love for us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That through faith in him, that we could receive eternal life. We could be rescued by Jesus from the power of sin and death, and Jesus will give you a new life. If you're here tonight, and you've never received this new life that Christ has to offer you, then I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. And I want to introduce you to my Savior. If that's you and you'd say, tonight, I want Jesus to save me. I want Jesus to rescue my life. I'm messed up. I've made mistakes. I know that I've done wrong things. But I believe that Jesus loves me more than my sin, and he's got a plan and a purpose for my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quick? I want to lead you in a prayer. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your life. I thank you that because you did what we couldn't, you lived a sinless life. You, you were murdered, crucified. You died. You were buried. You rose again on the third day. You did all of that for us. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross for our sakes. God, we are grateful. As your church is your body, we are grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus that has rescued us. Now, God, we pray. I pray. Father, help us to have a heart like yours. God, give us a burden for lost people. God, help us to not go through life not looking to the left and to the right for who needs rescue. 
God, help us not to be consumed with our own healing and our own process. God, help us to look beyond ourselves, God, and to see those that are hurting and needing you that are around us because you've placed us with a purpose. There's an intention in everywhere that we are. Our days are not normal, God, and we don't want to miss the moments that you give us. Give us a heart for lost people, God. God, give us a heart for lost people. We believe in a miracle-working Jesus. There's nothing that we come across, there's nothing that we encounter that, Jesus, you are not greater than. Help us to rise up in faith and to honor you as your church, as your body. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.